Okay, hello, and welcome to this month's episode of Innovations in Education, where we here in eSchool News explore the transformative stories and initiatives shaping the landscape of learning. I'm your host, Kevin Hogan, and today we have a terrific journey to share with you, one that involves turning underachieving Title I schools into overachieving success stories. Now, imagine a principal who has not only flipped the narrative, but also transform the culture and climate of their schools, fostering an environment where every student can thrive. It was my pleasure to speak with Dr. Cynthia Wise, the Principal and Chief Academic Officer for the Charter Branch of Waco ISD in Texas. Dr. Wise's approach goes beyond traditional methods. She created something called the Culture Conscious Campus Model. It's a groundbreaking instructional model approved by the Texas Education Agency Commission. This model has demonstrated proven results in increasing academic success, not only for African-American students, but for all students from low socioeconomic backgrounds, irrespective of their race or ethnicity. Dr. Wise's impact is proven in the data. She has successfully turned around three Title I schools to earn an A rating. At the beginning of the last school year, a significant percentage of her third graders were below their reading levels. But by the end of the year, Dr. Wise and her team achieved a remarkable 26% improvement in reading proficiency among those students. In this conversation, we delve into the facets of Dr. Wise's story, the reputation she's earned, the remarkable increase in reading achievement, and the groundbreaking model that she created. Have a listen. Okay, Dr. Wise, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your time and uh, looking forward to your insights. Thank you, Kevin, for having me. This is indeed an honor and a pleasure. Well, uh, you know, I think we can just dive right into it. You know, you have a lot of work, doing a lot of work over the past several years, I think since 2019, when your model was first kind of unleashed. And I want to ask you, at that time, that was before COVID, and I am assuming that a lot of things have happened since then, but let's get started where the inspiration for your model and from when your work springs from. Well, um, the culture conscious campuses model and the WISE instructional framework, it e evolved from my belief that is never the children's fault, it is ours. If children aren't learning, is because teachers aren't teaching them the way they should be taught in order to master the curriculum. And we as adults are not doing our part to put systems and structures in place so that students can thrive. And so, you know, that's something that is a problem that I know from my reporting it, it is society-wide. I mean, it, it, there seems to be a recognition of it, but then how do you tackle it? And how do you go from that concept and the, and the worries of those problems and turn it into something that is a day-to-day -day practice in the classroom. It seems like that's something that you've been able to do. So share with us some of, some of those insights. Yeah, Kevin, I've spent my entire career working at Title I schools, children that are in poverty. And I'm known across the state of Texas for reaching the African-American child, but this model is for any student that is struggling. 
Uh, I believe that we have a moral and legal obligation to bring out of our children what already exists within them. Uh, I don't believe that a student's zip code should determine the quality of education they receive. 65% of the children that are entering school today, they will end up working in jobs that don't exist yet because the future of the economy is in STEM and that's where the jobs of tomorrow will be. For an example, AI. So how do we prepare our students for that? Oftentimes when I take over struggling schools and, and that's primarily what I do, turnaround schools, I'm oft, oftentimes um, presented with the scenario of white flight. And I said to people, it's not just white flight, it's really middle-class flight. Those parents that can afford to get out of a toxic system, they do. But the students that I serve, their parents don't have a choice. So we have to do our job in turning these schools around. And there is a sense of urgency. 5% of the students that are in poverty, the research is clear, only 5% of those students will get out of poverty if we don't educate them. When you're dealing with children in poverty, children at Title I schools, they don't have the luxury of generational wealth, the luxury of someone is going to lead them a business, they're going to inherit a business. I mean, we spend time helping family members bury their loved ones, right? And so, first of all, it starts with you have to like the children that you teach. I believe it was Diana Day that said, children don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So you have to like and love the children that you teach. There is a sense of urgency. So we start with empowering our leaders. The, we refocus them on their vision and mission, skills and knowledge that are necessary to grow teachers' leaders. Because principals cannot do this work alone. You have to have you a strong team of teacher leaders and, of course, your administrative team around you. And so, in other words, we build leadership capacity. That's where we start. You have to put those systems and processes in place that would transform the school culture. So that's what makes the CCC model, the culture conscious campuses model so successful. But you have to also align culture with a strong academic program. So that's where we start with leadership because leadership does matter. And Kevin, you know, the, the research is very clear. Uh, a strong school culture is an important foundation for student achievement and growth. It helps you retain more teachers and you get better student achievement in both reading and math. And within building a strong school culture, you have to have strong student-teacher relationship. This will fuel student engagement. This also motivates students. And you also have to have a culture of high expectations, right? Students have to have a sense of belonging in their learning environment. This also, if there's a, a culture of high expectations, this fuels student engagement. And most teachers, they do not set high expectations for all students. And the system in itself, 
don't reward high expectation mindsets as much as they do content and the teaching methods. So building a culture conscious campus is at the core of our work. When there is no order, there is no learning. So, a, and that's where we start with focusing the leaders on the vision and mission, but then you have to, to address the discipline. And just about, I would go out and say 100% of any struggling school in a toxic environment, everything is out of control. Discipline is out of control. There is no order. So you have to bring order. You have to have those high expectations for everyone. Everyone is held accountable, including myself as a leader. So you got to refocus them on the purpose, the vision and the mission. Why are we here? Why are we doing what we're doing? And how does that look? Okay. And so there has to be decorum in the school. When I first took on this assignment at this chronic struggling school where I am now, uh, a year ago, oh my goodness, unbelievable. People would not believe that in America, those there are still schools like this. Uh, fights, profanity, total disrespect. Now, if you were to visit my school within one year, okay, Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Yes, sir. No, sir. Excuse me. Manners. Students are engaged in learning. And so a culture conscious campus is a student first is a student and has a student center culture. Right. We believe our students are exceptional. We bring out of them what already exists within them. But we have to create those structures to drive to deeper learning faster. Where there's no order, there is no learning. And certain, certainly there is no deep learning. Our curriculum here in the state of Texas is very rigorous, right? So students have to be laser focused. Uh, under the student-centered culture, you have clearly defined and articulated rules, processes, and procedures for culture and instructions. Teachers are not sages on stages. They are facilitators and chief learners. Also on a, a culture conscious campus, we have a culture, as I stated before about the research, how it's necessary to have that culture of high expectations. Under the culture conscious campus model, we have a culture of high expectation. Kevin, we say what we mean and we do what we say. Uh, we set high expectations for the students and adults. As I stated before, we hold everyone accountable, the students, the teachers, the parents, the administrators, and myself as the campus leader. A culture-conscious campus has a strong instructional culture. We teach with a purpose, and we align everything we do with the standards. The standards, that's your curriculum, right? We teach the curriculum, not a test. So we align everything what we do with the standards. We strive not only for mastery, but for excellence. We also create those reflective spaces where teachers can grow. I train my leaders. Our leaders model reflective practices and they encourage constructive communication and collaboration across all staff. So we dedicate that um, meaningful time 
for that professional learning and you, others may know it as professional development. Also under a culture conscious campus, we have a culture of engagement. We want to hear from our constituents, our consumers, i.e. our parents, our students, our community, our teacher, because we know that we are stronger together. We value their input and we take what they say and improve upon our practices. So aligned with having this strong uh, building a culture conscious campus, we have a strong comprehensive academic program. And under that strong academic comprehensive program, there are five cornerstone characteristics and they are non-negotiable. We will not budge on these. And one would be first safe and inclusive schools. Now we know that students must feel safe in order to learn. And that is why you have middle-class flight, right? Number one, parents want their children to feel safe. So we set and enforce our rules and procedures to keep all students safe. You know, I'm reminded, and this is a team effort here. I, I was perusing Facebook the other day and I saw, saw on Facebook where 50 Cent said that I don't have a degree from Harvard, but I surround myself with people that do. So you have to build a strong, cohesive team as the leader and you lead out front. I tell people, I am the chief learner on my campus. I am not just a principal. I am an instructional leader. I lead by example. I perform my own PD, but yes, I do bring in other people who may have more expertise in a certain area than I do. So one uh, cornerstone characteristic uh, under the comprehensive academic program is safe and inclusive school. We meet the needs of all children, but first and foremost, they must feel safe. When students are not safe um, in an environment, they don't take risks, there's a lot of bullying going on, we don't tolerate bullying. Every morning during my announcements, I announce that we will not, with a capital N-O-T, tolerate bullying. If you're someone is having an issue, you report it to your teacher or any adult in the building. Let us handle it so you do not. The um, second cornerstone characteristic under our comprehensive academic program is that we prepare our students for college and career readiness and also to be critical thinkers and problem solvers. How do we do that, Kevin? We offer rigorous instructions across multiple innovative models. I was one CEO at a over an organization that had oversight over six of a district in school charter schools. So I had oversight over six of those campuses. And we encourage our campuses to, we collaborate across campuses because that was very important that you come together as a team and you bounce off ideals and improve upon your practices. So preparing our children to be college and career ready and to be critical thinking and problem solver, we also tap into those soft skills. And we do that through STEM, into in individual interventions, 
and those real world experiences, such as it, we include project-based learning, uh, vocational apprenticeships, and that was more or less at, at the middle school, uh, field trips and more. The third um, characteristic of the uh, comprehensive academic program is developing the whole child. We develop students' social, emotional, creative, and cognitive capacities. So students learn how to fail, learn, grow, and progress. Our fourth comprehensive uh, cornerstone characteristic of our comprehensive academic program is building those strong student and teacher relationships. We are friendly, but we are not their friends. Instead, the teachers are facilitators of learning for our children. They have to create structures, build those relationships that encourage our students to, to be risk takers and enable success. And I, I say, I, I, I love this because it's so true. And you see more of this at the middle school and high school. You want to be their friend. You are not their friend. We are friendly. And the last cornerstone characteristic of our comprehensive academic component of our program is again, community engagement. As I stated before, we want to hear uh, the input from our constituents. And, and, and if I may conclude that this segment in terms of talking about the comprehensive academic component of the CC model, and those are non-negotiable, we grow teacher leaders. So in addition to culture being at the core of our work, we ensure that our leaders, they utilize uh, and our teachers research-based best practices models and instructional framework because we strongly believe when the teacher is ready, the student will appear. And so I just kind of gave you a little snippet of, yeah. you know, a general overview of the comprehensive academic program of the CCC model. One thing that really fascinates me about your your descriptions of it, it, so many elements of it really seem that they were prescient before the pandemic. So the idea of student safety, uh, and when you talk about safety, that's the mental well-being as well as physical well-being, right? The importance of communicating with the whole community uh, especially with parents, that became something that was hugely important during COVID in terms of, you know, bringing them into the whole, they became teacher assistants at home, right? During the, the remote time. Uh, and then hopefully have kind of continued to be there together uh, as well as teacher agency and the idea of teacher leaders coming in those first few months of the pandemic everyone was kind of left to their own devices, right? I mean, the teachers were mm -hmm. left to be in control of those classrooms. Everyone kind of forgot about standards for a while there and just try to kind of keep everybody together. Um, mm -hmm. Have you seen um, a recognition of your work change because of the, the, the past few years uh, and, and these sort of elements? You know, Kevin, actually not. Do, uh, we show our students 
show progress. I remember the commissioner sharing that, the commissioner of education here in Texas. Our the schools that I had oversight over, our students showed progress during the pandemic. Because you know what? We kept standards high. We didn't use that as an excuse to water down our curriculum. We held them accountable by Google Meets in our Google Classroom. Our students had to come to class in your uniform and we set our expectations. Um, we make sure our parents know no one can be present in the room. They have to be totally engaged and they're on from this time to that time. But we were already, you know, integrating technology into the classroom prior to COVID because our students were very familiar with Google Classroom. And we actually showed growth during COVID when the schools were, were shut down. And so we never lowered our standards. We kept high expectations throughout COVID. As a matter of fact, one of my school um, was a blue ribbon nominated school. And all of that coming through COVID, keeping those standards high. And of right. course we had a comprehensive program that we put together, a plan that we put together to uh, to make those necessary changes during COVID. Yeah. So when you look at the model, and obviously when you are the uh, the creator of it and you are the inspiration for it uh, and working with it particular places you are, if one of our audience members is looking to implement something like this in their own school or their own district, but they don't have a Dr. Wise there, to kind of put the pieces together and, and put it together. What is your ad advice for them in terms of trying to use these sort of strategies in their own districts? Well, as I stated before, it starts with structure, with, with, with discipline. If your school is still struggling, I, and I hear this all the time, where the students are unruly, they're not disciplined. You have to refocus. You have to stop what you're doing. School must go on, but you have to bring, assemble a strong team together and you have to address the issues. You have to get to the root of the problem. And it is never the children. It is never the children. If our children are not doing what they're supposed to do, if they're misbehaving, if they're not focused on their uh, academics, is because we are allowing them to do that. We are the adults in charge. And I oftentimes tell them, you put on your I am in charge t-shirt and you go to work. But you cannot fear the children that you teach. When I took over this assignment and all the other assignments in my turnaround school, what I got from that is that teachers and others were afraid of children. Have for heaven's sakes, they are children. They are, they are going to do what we ask them to do. It is a non-negotiable. So you assemble leaders that are out there, principal, teacher leaders, I believe in teacher leaders. You empower your teacher's leaders. You empower them by equipping them. And you have procedures and processes in place and you enforce them with fidelity. And in the words of Harry Wong, none of this will work without consistency. 
You have to be consistent. We say what we mean and we do what we say. It's not something this day and something different the next day. You have to be consistent or none of this will work. Now, our secret sauce, I'm sorry, special sauce, is how we practice as educators. See, we value diversity, equity, and inclusion in our schools. And all of that is built into the cultural conscious campus uh, campuses where students come first. You have to have the mindset of students come first, student-centered. It is not about Dr. Wise. I tell the teacher, it's not about you. It is about these students. We have been charged to make sure that these students get the best education possible. If that, if they fail at that, it's because of what adults did. Paul Pastorich, at the time when I was um, the CEO and first started my journey down that journey of being a CEO and having oversight over six of these schools, Dr. Paul Pastorich, who is now the CEO and president of the University of Arizona Global Campus, and he was over all of the school system in New Orleans, and he helped turn that down. I guess I pronounced it right, but if you're from New Orleans, you probably said New Orleans. But anyway, <laughs> Dr. Pastorich told me at the time he was working with me, um, he said that children can't wait while adults work through their issues. They can't wait. So adults got to get it together. And you come up with a plan and you implement that plan with fidelity. How does it look from the time you open the door to the time you send them home and everything in between? What does it look like? And that's what I found with a principal struggle with. What does it look like? Nobody, if you never uh, understudy under a, a, a principal that was an exemplary principal, an outstanding leader, then you don't know what it looks like, right? And so often principals, and they're so happy they got their principal now, you know, we all thrive to be a principal, those who want to, because you want to make a difference in the lives of many children, but you don't know what it looks like, right? So you have to get your great mentor. Oftentimes they provide mentors for teachers, but they don't for principals. Mm-hmm. And they don't. And get your great mentor, do your research, make sure materials and resources that you are using, that they are research-based and, and get on the phone and call that person. Call me if you like, I'd be glad to help. But you have to refocus on your vision and your mission and get order in that school first and hold everyone accountable. Everyone, parents, students, teachers, and ourselves. That's good advice. Now, when you look at the success um, that you have, that you've had and, and, and continue to have, let me ask you to look forward a little bit and see uh, what your hopes are. Um, going forward, uh, what do you see with your with your program? How do you see it? Um, the models evolving. Um, how do you? What do you see as a definition of success? Say over the next two or three years, Kevin. We using the Reading Horizon Reading Program for an example. One of the best reading programs, in my opinion, that I have ever uh, used. 
we took this school where when I first took over last year, 90% of these students were functional illiterate. They were non-readers. Within one year, we uh, that number was reduced to only 60%. And we're continuing to close that reading gap, right? So you have to make sure you have research-based programs in place. And you can't chase every little thing out there. Get something that works and stick with it, right? But I hope at the end of the, the day that uh, this model would be a blueprint for excellence and innovation and reach more children in poverty so they can come back to their communities and be good people, great citizens, and help out in their communities. Well, uh, it's great stuff. And as I mentioned, I really appreciate uh, your time and your and so your, your work is uh, incredibly important. And it's great to hear that it's having such a positive effect where you are. And hopefully um, your ideas can spread to uh, the folks who are reading and listening to us today. So uh, thanks again, doctor. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And, and I didn't say, but happy new year's to you. <laughs> happy new year's as well. <laughs> So that's all for this month's episode of Innovations in Education. Stay tuned for more episodes where we uncover the latest trends and innovations shaping the future of education. Once again, I'm Kevin Hogan, and thanks for listening.